Welcome to Eurozone, the podcast about European ultimate. I'm Ravi Vasudevan, joined by Liam Grant. Liam, back from Cincinnati. How you doing, man? Just kind of recovering. Like, I think the last six months, I've been pretty hectic in my life. And now, this, these few days have been the first time I've kind of been able to chill. I still have a load of work to catch up on for Counselor Life. And I was actually in UL today, sorting out some stuff from this year and for next year. So, but I feel under less pressure. I, like, I could hypothetically take days off and sleep in or do stuff like that, which I honestly haven't really been able to do for the last six months. I did go on the piss in Cincinnati mm-hmm. quite a lot. I've decided that I could do commentary pretty well, hungover slash drunk or somewhere in between. <laughs> so I just did that. And there was yeah. a lot of judging eyes and everyone's like, well, he's still probably doing an okay job, if not a good job. So we'll let him off. I think I got like, everyone let me slide on this one of just uh, having having the crack. So yeah, yeah, uh, it was fun. How was it for you to be watching from afar? Yeah, this one was, it was, it was a bit, tough for me because you couldn't follow it the same way you could follow world games like world games i could literally watch every game and i think i kind of tried to watch a lot of the streams and i realized this is like too much i need to my brain wasn't it's like this isn't good for me like i was going to work all day then like watching frisbee all night and i think I, I watched a lot less of it this time because after the first day i was like no this is you can't you can't do this again you like i was wiped out following world games the first time um and this one i was just i took a little bit less but i watched i watched a lot of the main stories and we'll get into that later on in the podcast it was it was fun it was fun to follow and of course like really cool stories and really cool stuff i mean this this was the most exciting club worlds i think i mean this is the first time that i've followed club worlds and not played at it since i've been like paying attention to high level ultimate so maybe that's also part of it that i could just see more of the stories not being there playing but like I thought that there were way there was way more parody. There was way more like challenge to the American powers in almost every division. So I thought that was really cool um, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it was it was fun. It was yeah, very contrasting to world games of like watching every game. And we went back to like field five. There's a really close game. Check or putting up this. You're like oh, run across the fucking venue. And then like, wait, no, it's like go to coming back against moon. And you're like run across the field five again. Very different to like game by game, piece by piece. So it's there's pros and cons to both. Actually, I like the, I actually really enjoy the contrast of the two of them. I wouldn't want just one or the other, really. Yeah, I, f- I feel like you caught most of the important games, like the story games, uh, like on on stream this time. It wasn't like 2014 where that Clapham Revolver game didn't get didn't make it on the stream or like some other crazy you know, historic game didn't make it because, you know, something else got chosen. I, th- I think most of all, the, the like really important crazy games did make it on the stream. And that that's that's pretty cool. Do you think there was anything that like the viewers didn't see uh, any games that like people didn't catch that were that were impressive to you uh, on the stream since you were there on the ground? Yeah, um, two games. One probably most importantly was Rhino Slam versus Clapham. I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Rhino Slam without Rafi Hayes, who I think got COVID. And without Leandro Marks. Yeah, and that was some other guy who's really good, Eli Friedman. Daniel Lee, I think, was the other guy. It's just like probably their best five players, whether they're all not there for different reasons. (laughs) But like it was Ian Sweeney and a bunch of college kids. And they just turned up in an 8 a.m. game and just played the perfect game. They did not turn over until 13-10, I believe. 
Uh, okay. Rhino Slam. Clapham turned over twice and they broke twice with clean, clean breaks. And yeah, they were up 13-10. I arrived there like maybe, I don't know, uh, nine something. I don't know, like, well, like it, it, a bit into the second half and like Clapham was just like, they're not turning over. And maybe it's because early in the morning, the intensity wasn't quite up there. And then Clapham turned them twice and broke them twice. And then is that did that bring him to universe? Then it was a it was a it was a hold in two breaks. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah or yeah. a hold in three. I think it was fourteen eleven. So they had the hold on fourteen twelve, and then must have broken three times. It was fourteen twelve to fifty. I don't remember. They, they broke, they broke, broke twice a third or three time times. to win, and then there was like yeah, yeah. three turnovers in the universe point, and like <laughs> I looked like for, it looked for a second they were down and out clapping. It just looked like it was perfect ultimate conditions. The guys could play good offense. And we're just riding the lightning. It's like they're probably going to score one in the next few points. And they hooked it, I think, twice and really come off. Conor McHale threw a great hook to Ashley Yo, and he went up too early. I thought it, like, it looked like he was going to have it. And then they got it back again. They threw it away again. Rhino slam to Ian Sweeney this time. And then Conor McHale made a great grab and oh, yeah, very yeah. bravely that, that one made it threw it yeah, and stuff. Very bravely threw yeah. it again to the end zone. He was great. Uh, in in that game for sure. So that was like a really exciting game. It was just like you could feel the tension of oh, it's going to happen again. Like three quarters <laughs> knockout again. I actually <laughs> said it to the very first game I did was Clapham ellipses, and it was on the field. They lost the bad skin, and we're like warming up. And it was last time I was on the field. It was last time they were on the field, and I was like, hey guys, remember last time we were here? Wasn't that fun? <laughs> and they were not happy with that comment whatsoever. <laughs> At least some of them were not. But I was like, oh, look, it's like, I've, I said it like on my intro to stream. It's like, this is a redemption tour. This is like, you know, lessons yeah. learned, get revenge on mistakes. No, they're just getting too deep into it. But yeah, but that, that um, random yeah. game, maybe the Mooncatcher's Goat Universe Point was um, yeah. Moon turned over. They got it back. That was another, yeah. Was that a... Yeah, we'll, 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 talk, we'll talk more yeah, about, let's yeah. not get into that game too much again, because we'll, we'll do the WCC coverage uh, later. A couple other things we got to talk about. So yeah, main main topic of this podcast will be WCC coverage. But uh, before we get there, Liam, we already previewed it, gave a little taste with that that Clapham pre-quarters discussion. But uh, a couple bits of news that have come out. Um, uh, first of which is we're recording this on Thursday evening. So we just got news today. I don't know, you you might have been... Uh, you know, with all your whiff diff inside knowledge, maybe you knew about this a bit earlier, but uh, the public got the news today that um, LA 2028 Olympics has shortlisted their kind of like extra sports they're going to add. They shortlisted nine sports and uh, flying disc and the sport of ultimate under the discipline of flying disc, or is it the sport of flying disc under the discipline of ultimate? I forget what it is, is not on the list. Uh, this has been a campaign, I feel like, for the past 10 years or so. To try and get uh, Ultimate into the Olympics in 2028, they invented a new version of the sport called Ultimate Fours. They, I don't know, have been like doing everything that the IOC has been asking them and and even more so. Uh, And in the end, uh, we're just, yeah, we didn't make it in. So what are your thoughts there, Mr. Uh, Wiftif? Yeah. uh, On this uh, new Peter News. I I knew about it probably six weeks now, and it was a pretty poorly kept secret, actually. The, like, WFDF board is a sieve. It is, like, just leaks everywhere. (laughs) And it's annoying because, (laughs) 
like people are coming up to me at WCC asking me about them. Like, God damn it. I'm just like, why? It was a lot of media people as well. Like definitely a lot of people working for Ulti World already knew. And I knew mm-hmm. who told them. And uh, it was <laughs> it was just, why am I sworn to secrecy about this? And then a few days ago, some Olympics article came out listing the sports. And that was a few days ago. So like it was ready in the public domain before WFDF announced it and stuff like that. And I just felt like they should have said it. I understand maybe they didn't want to do it straight in the middle of Worlds. Might have, you know, been a bit of a Debbie Downer. Kind of, uh, here's yeah. some news that's not fun for anyone. Uh, yeah, it is, it is what it is. And like that was probably the most likely outcome. I think now it's reassessing. I've been very for, you know, jumping on the Olympics bandwagon and jumping over any hurdles they put out for us. And some parts it's good. I think there's some good things about the only reason there's an athletes commission is because all IOC sports require it, right? So they put that together and then actually think it became a useful cog. Or there is certain things around, I don't know, discipline things and stuff like that. Like there is, they do force your organization to be legitimate and there is benefits to that. But now it's like, do we want to keep chasing that very distant dream? Someone said to me on the board, like, oh, I think Australia is 2032, or is that the likely? Nah, man. They're like, maybe that. And I'm just like, I don't know. My, I always said before, it's like, LA 2028, let's all buy into that and give it our best shot. And I know the Ultimate Fours, which I nobody likes, but like, you look at across <laughs> at World Games, they changed the rules drastically to, what was it, sevens and shot clock and like, all that was to try and get into Olympics are rugby sevens. That's why rugby sevens was pretty much created. It was a shortened version of the sport. And like, you know, a lot of sports have done that to try and get their foot in the door. And I, nobody wants to, but I, I guess they're just trying their best shot and getting the foot in the door. And maybe then you can increase it next time or whatever. So I've, I've no real problems with that, but now I'm like, should we focus our energy elsewhere? Should we, do we want to keep doing the water thing? You know, do we want to have our own drugs policy? Do we want to have our own gender policies? Do we want to, you know, us be us and start, stop, you know, marching to the beat of the Olympic drums? In a way, I think mean, that's a, a question for us all to think about now. What's, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I'd say yes. Look, I, I, I think that if Ultimate were to get into the Olympics, it would be huge for the sport. I, I think that there's... There's things to not like about the Olympics, but like the amount of exposure we would get would be unprecedented. And um, especially for the international game, I think it would be very helpful. I don't think it would affect the U.S. ultimate as much as it would affect ultimate in other countries. Um, it would affect funding incredibly. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, that, that is one thing which, you know, people might be for against Olympics, but suddenly if it's i mean it already has in a way like i I know i know many of the world games athletes got their whole stuff paid for by the ioc or like the sorry the olympic committee of their country i'm pretty sure france got that Uh, maybe germany did as well and like that's not something you get outside of being in this like ioc situation and probably us dotting all our i's to be ioc certified helped us to get that opportunity for world games athletes and i really love that that exists um that's awesome so like there's some benefits there but like as somebody who had to take i I talked to you briefly about this someone who had to take that wada uh nonsense or whatever it was uh look i'm I'm not saying i'm for doping that's not what i'm trying to say but the 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 thing you had to take (laughs) (laughs) the thing you had to take this like this like 
educational whatever to play at Masters Worlds and I think at WCC um, was is like it took like if you if you actually did it legitimately, it probably took like three plus hours, maybe four hours to finish. And I was like clicking through it and still took me like two hours to finish it or, or longer. I can't remember how long it was. It was it was crazy. And all my team was just complaining about it the whole time. And you didn't even like learn what was on the band substance list that it was just like all about like procedures about like how you would test and like it, it, was, it had it, it was like I thought it would be like, OK, here's what you're not allowed to do. But it was really this kind of like propaganda of why you shouldn't dope and then also like what values are attached to it. And it was just it was just a bunch of like to me, I know fluff bureaucratic nonsense when I see it. And that's what that was. And that sucked. And every athlete had to do that. Um, notably, somebody mentioned that apparently for the world games, they didn't have to do it, which means like that maybe Wiftif was even going further than they needed to than like what IOC actually required of them at world games. I don't know about that. I'm not going to. There was a Twitter thing that said that, that they, the, the person that played World Games didn't have to do it for World Games, and then they had to do it for WCC. So I feel like we were like going even more than maybe IOC was requiring of us to try and really be on their good side, which you know maybe was shooting our shot. But like stuff like that, I don't really see that we should be doing that stuff if it's I don't I don't think it's helping anything. It's just it's just annoying, and. Um, and I think our sport's pretty great eh, the way it is. So if we think that a, a transgender policy should be more inclusive than what the Olympics allows, uh, like if if we all agree with that, which I certainly do, I like the way USAU does it, um, where basically you just kind of let people play in the division that they feel comfortable playing in. Um, we should do that. And we don't feel like we have to be beholden to what the IOC is uh, making us do anymore, because I don't think. Australia, come on, Australia is a super huge sporting nation. They're into all kinds of other sports and they're not going to ultimate's not at the top of their popularity. Like we're not going to get in. USA was our chance and cricket got in on a year that it was hosted in the USA, which, by the Mm -hmm. way, I looked up and on USA Cricket's website, I don't know how accurate these numbers are, but they said there's 200,000 people that play cricket in the US. And then if you go to USAU's website, it says 63,000 members play in the U.S. Now, I know there's more people that play than are members, but like that's how both sports were advertising themselves. Clearly, both are going for the Olympic bid. And Cricket said 200,000 on the front page and Ultimate had 63,000. Yeah. I don't know how accurate those numbers are, but like it just shows you what kind of a bubble we're in that like Ultimate's not that popular. And we have a long way to go if we think we can be included. There's lots of other sports out there. Um, and I think we're a bit further away from like being one of these top sports than we think we are. Yeah, there's definitely like a billion people that play cricket as well between India and yeah, Pakistan. Just about the US. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You know, like, yeah. But no, we are. It's still such a long shot. I do like the World Games. So I think playing along Great. to the IOC, you know, bandwagon, I want to keep I want to stay in that and. I, uh, I, I remember I did the doping, but the last time I did it was probably 2016 or something like that. And I remember it's just videos they could skip to the end and just click next. But maybe they've made it yeah. harder to do that. Uh, I did it back then and it was not that bad. This time they've okay. like made some like two hour educational nonsense. You have to click through and like uh, take quizzes. And it's like uh, it's way worse than it was back in. I think I did it in 2018 and 2014. Yeah, and I didn't play in 2016, but I did it for those two. And this time it was like a whole new level of nonsense you had to jump through to get there and it was terrible that sucks um, yeah yeah nobody yeah. wants to be wasting ultimate people's hours of their lives thousands of people's hours yeah it's <laughs> a lot of hours yeah it's a lot, lot of hours, if you fucking hours. um 
Well, I just got a topic for um, subscribers only, which we're announcing now. We should talk about Game Advisors as a whole. That's going to be our... Oh, okay. We, got, we have to touch on it a little bit. We're going to touch on the rules. We're touch on the rules and the okay. controversial okay. calls, but I'm talking about the Game Advisor system in, as a whole. Okay. Okay. We'll do yeah. that later. Okay, yeah. Um, and one final thing. You mentioned, you touched on World Games. I, World Games was amazing. And I'm like, yes, Olympics would be nice. But if we had had to, like, I don't know if they would have given us, let us stay in World Games if we had been in the Olympics. And I would a billion percent rather have sevens in the world games than fours in the Olympics, like a billion percent. That was such a great event. And like it's showing where the world it's been like a temperature for where the world's at. You saw in 2017, Colombia started to get close, but then they couldn't quite do it. And this time you see like really the world kind of catching up to the U.S. and um, so much epic, great games like from Germany doing their thing. You know, we've talked about that in last episode. I would like fours. Who knows who would win? Maybe U.S. Mm-hmm. wouldn't win because you know fours. You even uh, you know concentrate your talent even more. And I think the 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 more you get to the top, the more like the depth advantage of the U.S. kind of disappears. But I would rather have our real sport on display at the World Games than have this bastardization of fours at Olympics. So if that's the trade off we would have had to make, then yeah, let's keep going to the World Games. We've been doing that for a long time now, and if we can keep doing that, like let's keep having that. Um, any other no- thoughts on the Olympics? I actually, I don't think it's that bad. Like, I don't think we're necessarily ready for it. Um, I don't think like having fours, like that's just, it felt, it felt like it would have been wrong to like have that be what we show the world, our sport. And I was a little weird about that. Yeah. It, it wasn't necessarily saying it would be fours. We caught like, we're asking for sevens, but we're saying like, what is the minimum athletes we could bring? Point that number yeah. down to 40 or something like that. Um, less even that that was kind of the the argument yeah but let's let's move on like how la has moved on <laughs> <laughs> um one other bit of news from europe uh eucf season is coming up um eucrs are coming up there won't be any eucr women's uh and i think there's like a lot of other things that are happening where like i think the north is gonna not have their own eucr they're gonna have to go to other divisions and like but for the women's, I think it's basically teams can just apply to play EUCF. And I think they're trying to get more than 16 women's teams in to try and like let more teams come in because they don't have enough to play regionals. But yeah, this is this always happens on World Clubs years. I feel like teams, World Clubs is their season. And then EUCF, like they spent all their money on World Clubs and like a lot of people don't want to do it. Women's division is our like most fragile division in terms of having you know, the few uh, having fewer teams that are interested in competing at the European level, uh, it's by far the smallest and it's always the hardest to like even fill up um, the division. But yeah, it, it's it's it still sucks. It still sucks for the development of the sport. I knew after COVID that women's ultimate in Europe um, was in not the greatest place in terms of numbers. We'll talk later in WCC. I think actually women's ultimate quite well uh, there. But in terms of so the elite talent still was doing their thing, but like. I know a lot of teams have kind of fallen apart a lot of uh, after COVID and people kind of changing their priorities or whatever. Um, and this is kind of a sign that things aren't great. And I hope we still get like, even if we don't have to go through regionals and stuff, I hope the top teams all buy in and do it because I think at the top level, you know, with Yaka, Shout, Jinx, uh, these types of teams, I would like to see them battle. Maybe Valkyria comes back, uh, maybe Gravity 
Dublin puts together a women's team that is actually, you know, uh, has has all the pieces together. The women's scene in Europe can make for a really awesome tournament. And it has in the recent past. I hope we still have that. But it's 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 a bummer that we're not going to have regionals in the qualifying events. Um, Yeah, that's that's not great. Yeah, it's as you said, it's just the knock on effect from worlds, I think, is the big thing and money. But maybe hopefully we get more women's teams than usual. If that if that's the way it ended up, that'd be cool. But we've had we've yeah. had problems at times. It hasn't there been like not even filling the the sixteen or so. So look, we'll see how it goes. But <laughs> we had a lot of women's teams the worlds. So that's that's okay. We did. Yeah. We did. <laughs> um okay, any other little news bits or should we start talking about uh this world championships yeah let's just get stuck into the the big pie okay uh three divisions let's um start with the worst one which is mixed okay (laughs) the worst one which is mixed (laughs) um yeah mixed. i would never usually say that but i feel like it's such a fair take and like mixed was awesome at the world games like mixed was so good at the world games it was a sharp yeah, contrast. When the good players play, yeah. it's good. <laughs> but uh, here was bad. Uh, I think emblematic of like, I think the, the like, what's it called? The microcosm of how bad the division was, was shown in that BFG hybrid <laughs> game, which was the two teams in the USAU finals last year matching up again in pre-quarters because BFG lost a game to McLeod, which was a, quote unquote Dominican Republic team and you know they had some visa issues so like four I think 14 of their players couldn't come and so they picked up you know people like Brett Matsuka, Sawyer Thompson and apparently a bunch of like elite mixed players from New York and and DC and they went and beat BFG in pool play so that put them down into a spot where they had to the one and two seeds had to meet in pre-quarters um and yeah, so that that's one thing that a pickup team beat the U.S. national champion. So that showed the mixed division quality. Then this game between the two, you know, nationals finals from U.S., which is the, you know, the, the best place for ultimate in the world. That was one of the worst games of ultimate I've ever seen on, on a stream. Like they were just throwing it away, turning it over. It was terrible. Liam. I, I came and watched <laughs> it. Maybe it was after the Mooncatcher's Goat game. And I can't remember what the score was like nine, seven or something like that. I was there 15 minutes before I saw a score. There was just discussions and turnovers, and it was painful and terrible to watch. Yeah. And yeah, like it just reminds you that mixed in the US is not very good. And I think if any decent European country threw together a decent mixed team, apart from Netherlands, apparently would uh, win the tournament. <laughs> I, I do think the exception of that was mixtape. I do think they were very good. No, they um, were very good. I actually didn't, re- I didn't realize that China was playing with them. Gina yeah. and Kelly Johnson like were just getting free open side up the line every time. Yeah. And that was just They're very just good. Wo- yeah. <laughs> and Khalif, I have to say, I know you don't rate him that much. No, he was, I think he was amazing at this tournament. He was probably the best player in the division. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think we can get into what the European teams did. Um, if we go from top down, Puti, who had a very good regular season. I mean, they they were Swiss draw ranked to be the the best team at the end of the windmill. Uh, you know, the Swiss draw rounds, they they had the highest score. They were above Krut there. They lost to Krut in the final, but like they were above Krut in the in the Swiss rankings. So we knew they were a very good team. Um, they made it down to semifinals and then couldn't quite put it together against Red Flag or Lunchbox, but but played competitive games against those two teams. 
um, and end up I, in fourth I, place. I, what it was like for like Essie Inkinen and yeah. Vessman there watching their team play <laughs> semis while they're like, where were they? Oh, they finished eighth or something, or I don't know. Like they, they were, eighth. yeah, they finished eighth. Yeah, they were just at that point they were out, and they're just like watching their home club <laughs> their team, team playing the semis <laughs> of worlds, and it's like you're playing. I guess they're playing a season with traffic and traffic are good, and I get that. Sixers, 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 Sixers traffic. Yeah. yeah, traffic yeah. are not good. Uh, <laughs> Sixers, my apologies. Sarah Eklund's playing with traffic this season, and I said, oh, yeah. you're picking up with a team, and you're gonna be the best person on it." That's what I said to her. Because I think uh, Chewy, I think, is injured or out for a bit. And I was like, okay, oh, you're, yeah. you're yeah. going to be the best player on that team. <laughs> Which I think is true. Um, yeah, go on. Anyway, yeah. So, yeah, that was just weird. I was like, I can't imagine if I was like watching Pelt or something in like the semi-worlds and I'm like on another team there. It just, it, it, I can't imagine that must have been a weird feeling, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, you know, I think that would have helped them having those two players uh, yeah, at those, they might have those late stage won games. if they had those two players. I mean, <laughs> two best players, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, definitely the two best female matching players, for sure. They're, some of their dudes are pretty good. Um, yeah. Yeah. So they they made it into uh, into semis. Couldn't quite do it at the instance there. And then Hrut was the next team. Uh, was our hopes and dreams of a European team getting a medal. And I hate to, like, be the... Per- like. People that complain about formats, I think sometimes, you know, sometimes it's like, it's oh, a, yeah, it's a shit format. Whatever. It's 100% agree but this with one, you. this one was a legitimate, like they got screwed by the format because they lost yeah. their only loss was to Mixtape, who was the clearly best team. It's like shades of um, Leco 2014 when Clapham only lost to Revolver on Universe and then got fifth uh, at the at the tournament. This is kind of what happened to Hrut here. They, they won all their games. They crushed all their games, actually, pretty much going into um, uh, the the quarter against against mixtape. And then, yeah, they didn't they didn't have a competitive game up until that point, and they weren't ready to match that level. I think if they had had a couple like you know tighter games, they would have done better. Dan Epstein, one of their top defenders, wasn't able to play that game because of COVID um, or sickness or something. He wasn't he wasn't there. Um, I know he was there the next day, so I guess he got better or whatever, but he wasn't able to play, I think, that game and the, the pre-quarter. So they're missing him and and a couple other players uh, that weren't, as I don't think, quite as as key, pl- key pieces as he is. But um, yeah, it, it just sucks because I think you know, they were probably, I mean, they went out there, they beat Hybrid, they beat Noise on Universe, which I think they're up by a bit and let Noise come back. But they still beat like the two other top American teams. And their only loss was to Seattle Mixtape, who are by far the best team at the tournament. Um, so clearly, like, they were medal worthy. I mean, I think them them and Lunchbox, it's hard to say who was the better team. Because Lunchbox from Brisbane, uh, who lost to who lost to Seattle in the yeah, semi, also, good. I think, were way stronger than Red Flag. Yeah. Um, uh, they, 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 they were probably a good match for each other. But... Um, yeah, so it was definitely in the top three at the tournament for my eyes, and they got fifth, um, and that sucks. Like, Open and Women's had the power pool round, so things kind of had a chance to kind of even out the bracket if everybody took those games seriously. But Hrut, like, won everything and just was on a collision course for Mixtape and Quarters. We saw it at the beginning. Just because Mixtape had a bad Nationals last year, uh, that, that's uh, kind of screwed Hrut over. And, yeah, sucks. Sucks for them. Because, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens in the future, but I think this was a good chance for them to... To really yeah, do something, no, and they should do. Especially the mixed is probably the hardest predict seeding. I remember, I remember talking our pre like cursor to this was like 
Nobody has any fucking idea what's happening in mixed. And then you have a format that's one to thirty-two straight knockout, which is hiring heavily on seeding to balance it out. That it should have been power pools. Maybe that's harder with forty-eight teams. Um, yeah. But I still think you do something, uh, some kind of crossover or something to like allow teams who are underseeded to to balance or to settle. Let the let things settle a bit better because yeah, as you said, I think. The best team was probably Mixtape, and probably the second best team was Grush, maybe Lunchbox. After that, like, you could have had, I know when the US team's fucked up, but, like, it really doesn't, these, these final placings are very inaccurate, you know? If, you had, <laughs> if you're, like, a Swiss draw for, like, three, four rounds and then did the 1-32, to you'd be, you'd have a very different um, outcome yeah. to the final seedings here. So, yeah, no, I think, I think that's a fair take. Um on Hut. <laughs> yeah. Reading Reading doing quite well. Reading getting eighth. I think it's good to mention that. Um yeah, lost to Putti. They, they were up up in the game against Putti and then uh Putti came back and beat him. So yeah, look that was good for Reading. Um going down then Monkey. I think actually Monkey had a had a game. They were up ten nine against Red Flag before Red Flag I yeah. think won by a bunch. So Monkey actually doing quite well uh from France. Um but yeah, then after that, you know, smog. Smog one coming twenty seventh. I don't think people would have really called that, but uh, no, I'm not sure about I, their path exactly. They probably also got a, a tough path or something. I'm not sure, but um, did they? I don't know. I actually don't know <laughs> because <laughs> they, they they tied Krutz at at windmill in the Swiss draw round. So I know they have a they have a good team, but like yeah, at the same time, getting twenty seventh probably they had a couple of chances to do better than that and just didn't. Would have been pretty awesome if Smog Rising finished above them. There are only two yeah. spots above them, which is pretty funny. <laughs> Happened to UCF before, yeah. Yeah, they were pretty close. Um, Anything else for Mix? Yeah, I mean, we'll have to see what the future brings. I think Crit are still going for UCF, so probably get that Crit Pooty game again there. Um, And yeah, not much else to say. I think Mixtape, yeah, like you said, we're the top team. Lunchbox, maybe we can say say a little bit more about them. I thought they were a really good team. Um, I thought that was a pretty controversial call in that that (laughs) game. Uh, I was not, so it, that, that game, I think it was 14, 13 mixtape up and, uh, mixtape was on O and lunchbox had a layout D and the, the defender caught it right before the, uh, the offensive player on mixtape, uh, was tried to clap their hands around it. And if you look at the replay, it's very clear that he got to the yeah. disc first and it wasn't yeah. a strip. It was super clear, but it seemed like the game advisor there, like was like, there's no photo. You can't look at a photo. And I think they were trying to look at the replay but I think they didn't look at the replay. And then uh, then Kelly Johnson came in and started talking about her perspective on the play. And that was the second time I saw Kelly Johnson get involved in a talk that I wasn't really happy with the way she engaged in discussions. She had another thing against Crit where she like pivoted into floor and then was saying like, floor, you have to move out of the way. You weren't respecting my pivot. And like floor was in a very legal marking position mm-hmm. and she just like pivoted into her and then called a foul on floor. It was a classic like US try to draw the foul thing. Um, yeah, I didn't think it was the most spirited play from her. You're just not woke enough to understand the spirit in Seattle, Ravi. Yeah, is I'm, clearly I'm not. The problem. I'm not. <laughs> no, they are. I don't think they're very spirited, and Lunchbox are incredibly spirited. So I think I, I was on the sideline for that argument. I think wherever the guy was, was, like, no, I definitely had control of it. All this stuff, and there was two or three calls in that game where the mixtape people argued their perspective, and might have been. 
an equal perspective or better perspective and Lynch might be like okay yeah, I trust you that was their attitude which is brilliant but it's <laughs> you felt like a little bit like you, the, this is not being reciprocated by your opposition but like they're, they're actually they were so spirited in those situations they're not getting annoyed about them they were very much listening to the other side probably more than they needed to have or should have they're a really good team really nice team I really like them yeah um, I have a lot of respect for them. A lot of them were in like the U23s in London, like not a superstar, maybe Holly Reeve to Holly extent. Reeve. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Holly Reeve is a but, superstar. Um, yeah, like Cat Smith and uh, Liam Grimman. Like they're a lot of good players. Yeah, but they yeah. were really cool and showed how to play with good spirit and good intensity. And were both Rutt and Lunchbox were maybe unlucky a little bit to lose the mixtape. Yeah. Which is would have been better to have it in the final because then we could have everyone booing at their bad calls. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, that's a thing to a small note, because I think we'll get to it in the men's. But Free Child, I think, also didn't make the most fans out of himself. Seattle, I think, really. It's interesting because I've I know this is a European podcast, but I remember like 10 years ago, Sockeye was out there doing clinics all over the world. And like Riot was also a really had a really good brand. I think Seattle Ultimate was like something that every they, they had more fans than I think any other city in the world. Their branding was really, really good. Um, I had already talked to players back in that generation who played against the Seattle teams at the high level, and they would always kind of tell me, yeah, Seattle, they look good externally, but on the field, they're still kind of not that nice to play against. They'll like, they'll contest all their calls and, but they'll do it with like a smile on their face and like talk kind of respectfully, but still always make bad calls and stuff. Um, and they said that was before. And maybe this, showed that more because the discussions were more mic'd up so you could kind of hear what's going on um, and you could see things with the replays a little better. But I think Seattle has somehow become like the villains of <laughs> Ultimate, especially internationally now. I think that's an interesting turn because I, I do think their branding was so good 10 years ago. Do you, do you have the same idea as me that like something is weird with it the... was different people 10 years ago? <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I was like the whole time, every time a Seattle team got knocked out, which they did quite regularly throughout the tournament, I think there was a bunch of people celebrating and I was one of them. <laughs> I was just like, just one more, one more pedestal to be knocked off of. And that never came, but I was, I was really cheering it on. Oh, we'll, uh, get, we'll get, we'll get to the, <laughs> one of those, uh, pretty soon. Um, mixed picks. I'm trying to think how this went. Uh, I think... I feel like I won, but I didn't deserve to. That's my initial thoughts. No, I, I think, think anyway. I won this one. I think you might have won the what? other two. I had uh, red what? flag. Oh, yeah, you did have red flag. Uh, you called Chatha all the way to the semis, and I had mixtape. Did you have mixtape winning? I don't, I don't know. think either of us called mixtape. Oh, no, I think both of us called BFG to win. Uh, yeah. I, sh- I should have written um, this down. Sorry, <laughs> this is not the best prepared podcast. BFG, and we had but, coming second, and then I yeah. know just one of my ones is red flag, and probably like hybrid yeah, or something Yeah, like so I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so you you you, you probably took it over yes. me there. I, I didn't. I definitely didn't call Lunchbox or Pooty, so um, unless one of us called Pooty. I think Keith Rayner called Pooty on the Deep Look podcast. So that's bad of us <laughs> that he got, he got the <laughs> European semis and we didn't. Um all right, so I think you took mixed. Um, maybe I took open. I, I thought when I remember that I took one of them and you took two of them. Um, uh, what do you want to do next? Do you want to do open or do you want to do women's? Uh, let's do women's. Women's. Okay. Um, so 
I'm trying to think of as much that we're going to talk about before just talking about revolution, <laughs> because I think we're going to mostly just talk about I, revolution. I want to talk about the Ellipse's Riot game and how good that was. Yeah, another Seattle yeah. team getting taken down of five pegs. Uh, Roasted, yeah. 15-3, like, I think. 15-3, 8-1 and a half. And like that halftime <laughs> interview with Ellis Weatherford, who I like, who's actually a very nice person. Yeah. But it was just like those classy lines... We're focusing on ourselves and trying to trust everyone and build on what we're doing internally here. And it's just like, like you were champions last time. What the fuck is going on? Answer your question. Like, <laughs> it was some. It's like, maybe you should focus on what's going on in the scoreboard. Like, you know? And oh, they just look so trash. And who was it? Uh, someone came up to Evan Lepler standing beside them. They're like, wow, like Riot really got punched in the face. He's like, they didn't get punched in the face. They got thrown off a skyscraper. <laughs> it's like, there was, there was not, it was not a punch in the face. <laughs> like 15-3 on the stream and like was struggling to get like two, three passes together. They have that, um, who's that Instagram woman that played with Arizona last time? I can't remember her name. Uh, Jamie Erickson. Jamie Erickson. I thought she'd like, flown to Seattle to play with she's from Arizona but it turns out it was the other way around she's always been in Seattle and was just like flying to Arizona and I was just like looking at her I was like I bet you wish you were on a flight to Arizona right now <laughs> I can see why <laughs> I was just like looking at her I was like she does not look like she's enjoying herself at all oh, on yeah? this team yeah, she's yeah, very well, good So she's really good team. really good player probably was yeah. their best player uh, she definitely scored one of their goals which is you know she scored one third of all their goals at the in that game <laughs> Um, but yeah, love to see it. Absolutely love to see it. Yeah, they, they also lost 15-5 to Swampy Barg later in the tournament. And yeah. uh, then the last two games, they they forfeited. I don't. Do you know what happened there? Actually, I was actually curious. Was it COVID? Because I know like Rattels and Mixed, we didn't talk about that. They actually played a good game against the first game and they had to forfeit later down the stretch because of COVID. Um, did you hear anything about what Riot did down the stretch? Was the last two games are 1-0? I think, what's the word I'm looking for when you like... Don't want to beat on a dead horse anymore. That you just like <laughs> a mercy, mercy called. Mercy called. <laughs> Is that a mercy forfeit? They just didn't want to get roasted by average teams anymore. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they went, they took Phoenix to 15 10. That's a pretty good result. Uh, but I don't yeah. know how, how much Phoenix was playing like their down part of their roster or something in that game. Cause, uh, yeah. Anyways. Enough, enough dogging on Riot. Um, let's try and be a bit more positive here. Um, in terms of European teams, uh, we, we said Yaka and Jinx probably were the top two teams. They played to Universe in their um, their game. Jinx took that one. Seagulls actually, so Jinx ended up getting 10th, losing to Mud in their ninth place game. Seagulls were right behind them. So the Germans really showing class. And Yeah, um, they looked really good. See, they looked yeah. really, really good. Both Nikki Green was balling pretty hard. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, both teams looked really, really good. I was really impressed with maybe some of the lesser known, or maybe I don't know as well, German players. Mm-hmm. And uh, they looked great. They were a lot of fun. Um, I watched some of their games or sat in some of the sideline for them. And yeah, they're well done. That's a good result for, I think, for Jinx. German national team, easy favorite to be the strongest team for Europeans next year and then choke in some oh, yeah. game that they're supposed yeah. to win by a lot. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. that's the plan. <laughs> um, yeah, I know, but they were, they were really good. I think it's a very good result for them. Uh, we said before that it would be really hard for European teams to get in the top eight. Um, 
trying to think how close Jinx was to the top eight. Uh, I guess they had a universe loss to Nightlock. Was that their crossover? Uh, they, they had another loss to Nemesis, 15-13. Uh, and then they lost to Phoenix, 15-6. That was probably their, that was probably their uh, chance to get into the top eight. So yeah, they, they, if they had won maybe a couple of those games against Nightlock and Nemesis, maybe they would have had an easier road to get in. But eventually they had to play Phoenix, who was was really, really strong. So, yeah, Jinx, Jinx looking very good. Um, one thing I was happy about, we, we talked about Riot not doing well. They came 16th in the end. But also teams like Parcha, Nemesis, Nightlock, Pop, Tabby Rosa. The next level of teams behind, like, the top three or four. Um, I think I was a little worried that having all those teams there would show how much worse the rest of the world is than American Ultimate. But actually, all those teams didn't do very well. And European teams ended higher than them. European teams crushed some of them. Uh, Japanese teams, uh, Australian teams doing much better. Canadian teams stepping up. Um, yeah. And Blueberries from New Zealand getting top 18. There is no such thing as a bad Japanese team. They just, yeah. they, they, they don't have a bottom end. There's just, if another one <laughs> appears, they just feel like top eight or top 16 minimum. Um, uh. But I liked I liked that because I think in the U.S. there's always been like a top four women's and then the rest were below. What we, we didn't know in previous WCCs is if that gap was the same as the gap between the top four women and the we world. And this show that the world is in that gap, right? And the world is not maybe not quite touching the top of the American teams, but they're not also worse than like the fifth best American team. And I think that was really cool that this this tournament showed that that like uh, the rest of the world is there. And that that's in general in all the divisions. I think this tournament showed that the world is is getting closer to the elite level uh, of American Ultimate in in uh, in, in the, at the club level. And that's really cool to see. Uh, I met uh, I overheard a Canadian person talking about how they're getting on. I think they played with Salty or Stella and they're like, what bracket are you in? They're like, oh, we're down in like the Premier League, Super League bracket. In the women's division, where it's just like there's just like a clump of like five GB teams and gravity and stuff, and they're just like, and just like, yeah, it feels like we're playing in like the Premier League or like the Women's Super League kind of a thing. And I was, I remember that I was like, that is so funny. They're just all clumped together in one big clump. And Spice, yeah. Spice, by the way, Spice and Sick tying for the top of the UK. Uh, you called Spice for spoons. So they at least beat the other UK teams, uh, Bristol. I was definitely uh, doing, picking a UK team, if you remember. I just didn't know which one to pick. Was yeah. <laughs> maybe we um, should have been the Irish team. Was would have been a good shout. Yeah, Gravity not doing well. Did you talk to them at all to see uh, they came in tied thirty seventh about what was going on there? I saw some of their stuff and I was chatting to some of them. I did not ask them at all about their games because I was yeah. too afraid to. <laughs> maybe for the best. Yeah, they were actually having a lot of fun, and I think maybe that was the approach to it. Maybe they're just like this is you know, a team that's probably not going to finish XYZ or like in the top half. So let's just go out there, improve players, have fun. They were definitely having fun. They did not look disheartened or annoyed. And yeah, yeah, sometimes the big players in that scene can be very serious and overwhelming. And there's a lot of people just wanted to like enjoy ultimate. I think they definitely did. I thought Jess Chambers played very well and she'd be kind of that mentality of like, doesn't matter who we're playing or for what results. Let's go have fun and play hard and I like I don't think they were didn't look upset looked like they were having fun so yeah 
Yeah. Fabulous, uh, I think, is one thing we can talk about because they had a very good windmill, looked like a top European team at windmill and then ended very low. Like, I think, uh, what was it, uh, 33rd or something like that? Um, above a U.S. team. Above a U.S. team. Um, be, yeah. They were they didn't look too bad. Who was unbelievable was Tatooian. Alexandra mm-hmm. Alex Tatooian. Yeah. I didn't really know who she was and she absolutely smashed it. She was pretty class. Yeah. I, I felt I we I called one of the games. Was it them versus Pop or something like that? Uh I definitely did commentary for one of their games early on. When I do my like early tournament, not really try very hard commentary. And so I was like, I don't know what's going on. Uh, but they were really good. Like, it was weird. Like, Olivia Hauser wasn't playing that much. Like, I'm looking at her now, and she is, like, not that much stats compared to some of the team. And she like, wasn't playing O-line. She just wandered around sometimes and throw an absolute dime of a hook. And I was just like, why is this not the first look? You know? <laughs> I, di- I didn't really get that. Like, their their lines felt a bit weird. But, uh yeah, Tatooine. I don't. Did you know her before? I actually did not know I, her. I knew the she was name. awesome. I I remember calling her. She like, was the she best would make player a, on the team for sure. Could play every now and then, but wasn't like the star of Swiss Ultimate. I think I maybe called her on the Swiss national team one time. Or the name sounds familiar, but I can't remember exactly where I've I've called her before. But I've said the name. The name has left my lips on a on a on a video. She was awesome. She before, was yeah. class in that yeah. game. Anyway, because uh, shout getting twenty fourth without their star players. I think. Yeah, that's maybe about. Or we would expect them to do well. Pangolins getting 17th. You were talking them up before the before the tournament. Singapore team doing all right. But I think uh, not maybe having the mental strength to win some of the games that they could have won with their athleticism uh, earlier in the game. But uh, yeah, is that that enough? We, we can we t- start talking about the top. And I know this is a European podcast, but we have to talk a little bit about what happened at the top. Uh, Revo historic win is Arguably the first time an internet, a non-American team has legitimately won World Ultimate Club Championships. I know in 2006, a bunch of Japanese teams won basically because uh, um, all the American teams didn't go because it was during like the week after nationals in Perth, Australia. This is the first time I think Americans really put their foot forward, like really were trying to win the tournament and a team beat them. Maybe a Canadian team did it once or something like that in history. But aside from that, this was it. Yeah. This was an all-star Fury team. This was like this was real. one of the best rosters ever in yeah. the US team. Like this was not um it was no soft team. No. No, yeah, that was incredible. Might incredible have been a soft call. Moment. There was no soft team. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna um, talk about the games. We're gonna talk about like yeah, I don't know I, if I there's any talk, interesting. Yeah, go on. You go ahead. I want to talk about the game. This this game, um, I'm I'm half Colombian, my mom's from Medellin. This is a team I've been following for years and like I was super disappointed in 2018 when they had a really bad game against Riot in the final um and this game started off I wrote in the disc the ulti world discord like I'm a little worried because last you know Colombia has very strong teams world games or women's national team or or Revo but whenever they get to the stage where they need to do it they kind of choke this has happened a number of times it happened in the final in 2017 in world games it happened in the final in 2018 in wcc then it happened in the semi-final in world games uh two weeks ago where i think they came out played their worst game in the most important moment even though the team's really good and then revo starts up this game they get a break opportunity don't punch it in 
and then Fury scores and then gets they get broken twice. And I'm like, it's happening again. Like this is it's happening again. Oh, well, whatever. And then it's just on the back of, you know, the best defense that the sports maybe ever seen uh, making play after play Manu playing like her best game ever, which is a lot for her because she's played so many good games. But just like she could tell she she put everything into that game. Um, I want to mention Mongi Ferrero also. I think people don't say her name enough when they talk about the Revo stars. She played incredible. I think she saved the game. Like, yes, Manu's block was good, but Gina could have been there before. Um, but Mongi's block on Universe, I think, like, she had to really put her whole body on the line. She had to call injury afterwards. Like, that was incredible. And, yeah, just, just making all kinds of runs, all kinds of plays. They end up taking half, 8-6. And then at the very end, Fury comes back. With There's a little bit of a weird call in the middle. We'll get to that later. But Fury comes back to Universe, and then... I lost my mind. Like I was running around my living room on that universe point. I, every time the disc turned over, I was just like, I couldn't, I couldn't take it. I was really like, my heart was racing. Um, they had that first turnover and then Mongi got it on this huge block and then, okay, all right. I got the disc back. Then it goes to Manu in power position. She hucks to Mascara. Mascara is free. And then instead of just running it down, she goes for this layout. We thought it was going to be epic end bounces out of her hands. God damn it. And then, um, wait, there was another was turnover. turnover in but, the middle of that. It was just like a catch to the knees. Who oh, was yeah, Leifka, the, uh, Leifka dumped it to Montagna, and it was yeah. just like she threw it at Montagna's knees. And then uh, then it kind of fell. I don't know who to blame for that, but it was a weird turnover. Then Manu gets the crazy block where uh, Opie is in power position, throws a huge huck. Gina's already in good position. She probably like 80% was going to get that D anyways, but Manu just like came in to make sure <laughs> that it was cleaned up. Um, and then, then, yeah, then Manu gets in power position, throws the huck to Mosquera. Mosquera, it bounces out of her hands. And I was like, that's it. There, there's no way Fury's going to give it back <laughs> again. And then Gina, just with that run through block and then runs all the way and score and doesn't even realize she scores until everyone's like cheering for her. Um, she's like looking, Mosquera was wide open. It was going to be a score anyways, but like she was in, yeah. um, what a fucking game, man. That was just. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about another game in the open division, but like for me, this was the game of the tournament. There were so many good games at World Games, like Journey beating the USA, all that. But this is like the game of the year uh, by far. Uh, I don't know. What was it like for you being there? Because you weren't you weren't you weren't in the booth. You were just like out there. You just like out there in the environment and like taking it in or like what, what, what was what was it like for you there, man? I got to know. I, I bounced. I stayed in the booth for a little bit, sat behind uh, Hannah and Robin it was a lot of fun. I thought I thought felt the same thing of like the first three points is like uh oh, <laughs> and then went down onto the turf and standing with um, Evan and some of the other commentators. And I was actually eating food. I I did that uh, open final like super hungover. Hadn't eaten anything. Like turned up. Like was I thought I did a really good game in terms of calling <laughs> the commentary, which I could do hungover. But then I like just kind of collapsed. <laughs> But I watched the last point. I went back up and I watched it. I like sitting behind the commentators and just kind of getting that. So it was and like Charlie and Aiden were losing their marbles on the <laughs> on the broadcast, like doing replays. Like, yeah, we get that replay. Oh, my God, what is happening? <laughs> and like everyone inside the camera is like, did you get that? It's like, show the replays. Like, we don't have time. It's still universal. So there was um, that was really cool. I was trying to get a video of like, I think I might have one of like Charlie losing his shit. Yeah. Um, Doing doing a fucking awesome job. Um, 
the Ulti World production crew, like so good. the replays, and so yeah, thank like, God it really, wasn't the international really... BS or whatever the hell Olympic <laughs> channel doing it. bullshit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> office of bullshittery. Um, yeah, so that that was good, good crack. But then, like literally, when the final point was scored, I was like, I need to go to bed, and like I actually left the venue. Like I watched the like last point like there, and actually watched the interviews and stuff like that. But then, like as soon as like the dust settles, I went back and like slept for two hours. I was so fucked. Um, so that's how that's what it felt like for me. But <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing. It was nice. Um, nice seeing all the river people crying i mean that like tears of happiness was it was i think everyone wanted it for them everyone knows how much work they've put in so i think everyone was pretty i was wearing like my revolution t-shirt everyone's like wear a nice shirt for um production and stuff i was just wearing a revolution t-shirt for like all the (laughs) commentary stuff for when we're on screen everyone else like tom styles is pretty much wearing like a dicky bone suit and everyone else (laughs) i was just wearing like uh Revolution were obviously selling merch unofficially and illegally at the tournament, which I, of course, bought some of uh, <laughs> as a tradition. They were like one bit point. They were like, I think it was Levka. I think Levka sold me the Revolution T-shirt was like under the competition stand. Be like, do you want to buy some Revolution swag? I was like, I don't know. And it was like 15 euro for like a really nice T-shirt. And I was like, or like 15 dollars. I'm like, yeah, that's like actually very good value for a nice T-shirt. I think I gave her 10 euro and 10 dollars because I didn't have enough dollars. But uh, then I just wore, I said I wore it, wear it final day just to be, yeah, I don't know, clearly showing my stripes. But yeah, no, it was great. We'll great. talk about this more in the open division, but Revo had three pickups that were quite, well, three world games players. I mean, it was Leif Kowaljak, Claire Chastain and Mish Phillips. Um, Mish Phillips got two blocks in the final. Um, some of them were like, yeah, she was in the right place. Um, Claire Chastain, I think, played a not great game. She had a she had a few turnovers. She had a bad, really bad huck. A couple uh, of them were I like, I don't think she's that amazing. And there was a reason she's not in Universe Point. It was not subbed on Universe Point. Yeah, and I'd say there'd been another two subs. She would still not have been subbed on Universe Point. Yeah, uh, yeah, because I don't think she's she plays a weird style and does too much risky stuff and definitely doesn't fit in with that team that well yeah Levka that's what does. i want to say more i think i think she's a phenomenal yeah. player I'm, I'm gonna be clear that i think claire chastain's really good but and she was really good on world games for the u.s but um she 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 had a, a lot of her turns were miscommunications like she doesn't deal well with the fast-paced moving ball that revo does small spaces like Manu just getting free because she can have one explosive step and get open like she doesn't do well with that she doesn't respond she's not good at that um and it was that was pretty clear and then her huck her huck throwaway was like also really bad like that was uh not great she didn't have a good game um Leifka was really good Leifka was I think hot and cold a little bit like also was not as good as she was with the German world games team but still like made some key plays did some key things but also miscued a few times I think um, the the yeah, throw to Montagna's knees. Lot, yeah, I I put that on Montagna to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I thought she played a crazy amount of points. Yeah, and like if you actually watched her, like Levka cammed it, she was shutting down people all the time, and yeah. just that athleticism really mattered for them, and that's why she was on Universe Point. She didn't realize it was Universe Point actually. I came up to her, she was like, <laughs> I had no idea that was for the game. She thought it was till fifteen. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, she was. I thought she was fantastic and and fits fits in with that team. And she is, 
a little bit spicy still, but like to, what she does with her legs and work rate is phenomenal. I can't, I can't remember how many points she played. Her and Manu played a hell of a lot of points. I think Lefka played more um, points than Manu did. Like uh, the first she like, did, yeah, four or five from, points, she yeah. didn't go, come off. And uh, I mean, Revo in general plays a very tight rotation, um, but they clearly trusted Lefka on there. Um, did you notice twice? So there was one where she caught it, one where she didn't catch it, where I think she didn't know where the back line of the end zone was. There's a there's a highlight play. If, if you look at the the flat baller, they, he came out with like this like WCC 2022 highlights uh, package, kind of like with these like close up angles. And there's the the opening highlight of Revo is Leifka catching it for a huck, and you can see her trying to like toe in the front of the American football end zone, but there's actually still like. I think like seven or eight more meters left of the ultimate end zone. Yeah. yeah, And and the first turnover in the game, there's a huck that goes up to Leifka and it seems it's a little bit far, but it seems like she stops running and kind of jumps from that spot. And I think even from that point, she didn't know that the end zone was continuing. I think she might've even caught that goal. It might've been a hard catch, but I think she definitely adjusted her steps in a weird way to try and make that catch uh, and that was that was part of what uh, gave Fury their first break. So that was a weird thing. Were there brick marks painted on the fields? Because like I saw that teams were very confused as to where the brick was in that on that stadium on field. Because the... I don't think so. And like that's that's I'd say it was it was like blue lines. It that's was, also terrible. It was, yeah, yeah, it was horrible to look at. And like I'd imagine if the Euro- not many European teams. Or did any play on that field? I imagine if like Clapham made it a final against one of the USA teams, that would have been a much harder for them to adjust that field than it would have been. Like they played, most of those players would have played college nationals on that field and would kind of have a be used to loads of American football lines. Mm-hmm. Kind of would. So yeah, no, I think it looks the field looks terrible when it has you know thousands of well able to see lines for a different sport. It doesn't. Bode too well. What you want is invisible lines, like where you have it uh, in Limerick. You know, <laughs> I can't throw too much shade at lines at this very moment. So, yeah, but 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 the worst thing is that, like, I know that the that the that the American football lines were white, and that might be why they didn't use white lines for the sidelines. But they should have used white lines for the sidelines. Like these blue lines were were impossible to see, and they use these kind of like white weird diagonal lines to mark where the end zone was. They should have done that in blue and then used whatever, because if you ever looked at like drone shots, you could basically see the slashes of the end zone, but you couldn't see the sidelines. And like one of those things is way more important than the other. And like they should have had, um, yeah, they should have had those more visible. And I don't know if teams were teams warming up on the turf or did they have to warm up somewhere Ye- else? Well, it was a field behind, it was a turf field behind the stadium. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a thing that also like I feel probably Leifka never got to really feel out where the back of the end zone was, you know, like and it, that's that's also part of it. Like so they should have I don't know Well, Revo should have like taken a minute to, to to concentrate on that at the beginning of the game. That's something you don't think to do and it just kind of takes a little bit off it. OK, enough about that. Revo winning. Uh, it was an amazing game. Uh, talk about the controversial call afterwards. Let's do the open division first. Yeah. OK, open division. Um I think uh, final pony ring, really clean game, really good game. Uh, cool to see that. I think with Babbitt, Yacht, and Mickle on an O-line, it's they're probably going to be favorites to win uh, USA Nationals. Whatever. Deep Look talked enough about that. We don't need to talk that much about those teams. 
Um, we got to talk about the fact that Clapham what, what and Moon. About, what, what about me doing the final? Should we not talk about that? <laughs> Wasn't that pretty good? I think you did pretty well. You did pretty well. I know that you're pretty good oh, at yeah. hangover finals. I I did the the um GB Germany Open final of EUC. Uh, you were also very hungover, and I thought did still did a very good job in that game as well. So I know that you're a capable, capable man of, of doing yeah. the good call. I got a, I got a, such a bad nosebleed in the middle of that game in the oh. second half. I was just like, "What's on my face?" And it's like, I was like blood everywhere, and it's like down my shirt and on my shoes before you realized. And then like Evan looked at me, I'm just bleeding everywhere, and I just <laughs> kept going. And I was like looking over like Charlie and like you go like somebody like get me tissues and like cough thingy, and then like drop a lot. I dropped. But I can't remember what I said, but I remember like I nailed something, some line, and it was just like back to like smearing blood all over my face. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, it was it was a great game. They're both really good. Jeff Bappett's really good. Uh, yeah. Don't know what else to say about that. There's no Europeans, is there, on the, those teams? Not this That's time, sad. no. Not this time, no. No. Um, yeah, we can, you can listen to Deep Look for more. Yeah. Ring pony stuff. Um. European teams got the next three spots after that. So Clapham got bronze, Mooncatchers got fourth, and Kuzp got fifth. Um, and then down the line, the next European team was Is No Good at 11th, also known as Joe White and Friends. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's talk about let's talk about a couple things. I want we'll, we'll get to Moon in a second, but I think first it's we want to talk about Clapham. Clapham. I really am happy for this team. I know in Eurozone, oftentimes we kind of root against them because in Europe, they're kind of the, you know, boring favorites and we always want somebody to upset them. But like this team has been so good for so long and has never gotten a medal at WCC before. And I know a lot of those players are getting at the, let's say the later stage of their career, quite a few of those players were like players that were still on the team in 2014 when they lost that universe point game to revolver. Um, so I felt like actually really awesome to see, see the likes of Justin Ford, Tom Abrams, all Ashley, Yo, all these guys that have been good for so long, go out there and get a medal. Um, they really deserved it. They've been working so hard and been at the top of their game for such a long time. Um, I thought they played really, really well. They, they played a really good game against ring. They were 15-13. I think they had a, the disc in hand to go to universe or they had the disc in hand to score something, maybe even go up. I don't know, but like playing ring really, really close. Um, and yeah, they 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 played extremely well. I actually think they the matchups favored the Americans because I think I think Clapham would have had a better game against ring and Moon would have had a better game against Pony, which if you look at the power pool matchups, of course, it's not the same as bracket play. The games were closer there. So I think the U.S. kind of got a little lucky in the way that they matched up against the European teams. I still think the U.S. wins both, you know, matchups, you know, 60 to 70 percent of the time at least. But Europe would have had more of a chance for the upset the other way around. But yeah, what do you have to say about Clapham and then we can start talking about Moon. Yeah, I'm I'm actually very delighted for them. Um, they've had some tough roads in the past when it comes to world level, as you said, just been shitting all over Europe for a while now that we as you said root against them and played devil's advocate at the time but like those guys worked so hard so happy for Justin in particular um you know he's always been a great guy and a great uh icon for European ultimate and is always you know does great interviews speaks from the heart a very honest guy and you know I think I did interview him is like I think we've always known and they've always known they've been good enough to get semis and you know get bronze which is incredible um 
It's just they had to go out and do it, and we're a bit unlucky at times. And I do like how they, they had to like really dig deep in that pre-quarter and fight their way out of it. <laughs> and you know, yeah, they've been they've been great, and I'm I'm very happy for them. Uh, yeah, just and they're actually a great bunch of guys, and I thought they did very well in spirit. I thought they carry themselves very well and like represent that you know best team in europe very well and i don't know if i get the same proud of them but i am very proud of them and all their performances conor McHale, ashley yo at uh who else is good conrad wilson was very good they, they were all really good yeah actually there's a lot of like I, oscar modiana i didn't even know that particularly well i thought he was great there was magnus was great like they're all really really good and they deserve to get there. And I think the biggest change was, I think actually like losing to bad skid and losing to cusp in ways made them a much, much better team. For sure. Like, yeah. So I don't know, even though those moments sucked and I'm sure they would love to go back and win those games, particularly the bad skid one. But <laughs> I think they, the bad skid game, they learned they need to stack the roster at certain times or stack their lines. Yeah. And not play everyone. I think that was a big kind of fuck up of that bad skid game. Like Holger was playing every point and Justin wasn't. And it was just, you know, all on the line here. You need to not play every point, but like there was times where they're playing the whole roster and they had like 28 that year or something like that. And it was just wasn't a good idea. I think against Cusp, they changed how they played defense. Yeah. Um, and learned from that game how to play offense, that defense. And um, I asked Brian Jones this. I was like, which defense was tougher ring or Clapham and they said Clapham stopped us playing our game for a bit and actually they played a very junky thing which was I thought much better like ring was still trying to run around after Jeff Babbitt and that's he's actually stupid trying to run after him because <laughs> he's just like I've never seen somebody you don't see it in the open vision too much at that level somebody getting like under front corner open side by like 10 yards like that's just <laughs> doesn't happen at like that kind of elite level he was doing it all the time whatever about giving him under his downfield it's like okay maybe they're giving him that it's like they're not giving him open side under in the end zone like surely that's not <laughs> can't just give people that it's the one thing you don't give him and it was why well, like Clapham were playing the junkie thing I think switching and they, they did that when it against the windmill final against Moon as well was like understanding like recognizing that you know athleticism to shut down defense is great but sometimes you have to do something else yeah. and use team defense. And I thought Andrew Hillman actually seemed like yeah. that he was the tactical leader of that D line and deserves a lot of credit along with the other lefties and Will, Ra- Will Rollage played great. And he called me out and calling him a washed up Will Rollage <laughs> last year. <laughs> and he definitely was not. He had a lot of really good blocks yeah. and uh, good to see him back. He, he wasn't able to play uh, uh, world games. Yeah. And so yeah. good to see him back out there. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, they had that close game against Rhino, but then they had a more decisive win against Furious, 14-11. Um, lost game against Clapman, then won, won against Moon, 15-11. And I think, like I think you said before, uh, that that they they were going to beat Moon no matter what because they know Moon, and Moon had the element of surprise against American teams who didn't know them. But Clapham knows how to play against them. I, I totally agree that the intelligence of their defense stepped up a lot. Um, they weren't just doing the, oh, you know, because we play in Europe, we're just more athletic. So we'll just play a simple defense and simple person defense and and win on our legs. They were like, no, actually, we need to do a bit more to disrupt good offenses. And they, they really did a lot more switching, a lot more junk, a lot more, but like really good, hard junk, not like a lazy 
you know, oh, we're not going to play hard. Like they played hard, but then did the switches intelligently with that. And uh, yeah, definitely the best I've seen them. I, th- I think their team was, you know, the difference you talk about playing their, their roster shorter. I also think that their team was deeper. Like I think the the lower part of their roster was even better. Like normally that's what we say Clapham's good at, but like up and down this roster, everybody was really good. And that allowed them to probably win by decent margins enough that they could push their players to, you know, do what they needed to do to beat Rhino uh, in that game when they were down 14, 11 or whatever it was. Um, and yeah, great game. I wanted to also shout out Thomas Cartwright. and one more name we didn't really talk about yet. He also played phenomenally in, in my opinion. Um, great stuff. Um, okay. Now let's do it. Let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about Moon. So Moon Catchers coming out. We talked about them in the preview podcast. I threw them a little bit of shade being like, okay, this team's a bit pickupy. They have a whole line of pickups, basically. It was only six, not seven. I realized we we miscounted. It was three Latvians, two Americans, and Gael. So that's only six. So did not a full line, not a full line of pickups, but still quite a good slate of pickups. Um, but after I gave them that shade, then I was all like, all right, I'm, I'm just going to back. This is my, I'm rooting for this team all the way. Like this is still a bunch of people. I love uh, at style of ultimate. I love to watch. I've loved watching this team for, for years now. They have such a confident way of playing. They don't care about like the quote unquote right way to play. They'll throw scubers and throw high stuff to ref. I think a lot of teams, if they have a player like ref, they'll think that like, Oh yeah, at the highest level, we shouldn't just throw pop-up balls to a player like that. Cause that's not the right way to play. And they're just like, nah, we're just going to do that. <laughs> and like, that's, that's, that's what we're, that's going to work. And, and it's going to work. I don't care if this is Sockeye. I don't care if this is whoever the hell we're facing. Uh, we're going to do that. Um, and they played amazing. Uh, ref had a phenomenal tournament. Some people would call it a breakout tournament. I think you and I know him that, you know, yes, this is the best he ever played, but he broke out four years ago when he was playing with frisbees already. Yeah, he was, <laughs> I think he was officially the breakout player four years ago. Yeah. It was, in like the articles we wrote so i don't know if you can break out twice <laughs> i think my brother is being one of the best players in the world yeah. and i think it's a good argument to say he's the best player in europe i think that's a i think i think you could definitely make that argument Ar- probably the second best maybe be arvid zorlovskis who played <laughs> amazingly and we saw arvid's you know play on this belgian u20 team back and uh, when that team almost beat the u.s um and showing how good he was in the air and but over here, he was just a thrower more than anything. I mean, he he could get the disc. He could be a release valve, you know, get a get a tough disc if he needed to. But his throws are what were incredible in that sockeye game. And we can just talk about that game a bit more. Like there was a point where he just threw this dime of a huck upwind, like complete perfect throw. And then Simon Montague was one of the best throwers in the U.S. Basically throws the same exact throw uh, in the next point and just goes out the sideline like completely terrible huck and it just shows you how good of a thrower he was uh there and people people said after that belgium team that he got maybe a little bit in his head kind of became a little complacent wasn't really improving Uh, i think this gave him that opportunity to push for something more and he really took that opportunity this season to do that um i think he fits in really well with the team like moon catchers it was a perfect team for him and then yeah, Ben Yonkers played really well. Don Demare, who I've, I've been talking about on this podcast for over a year now, is phenomenal defensive player. Um, and then, of course, you know, what do you think? What do you think about the pickups here? I mean, Paul Arder's eventually. I think I think they I think the pickups were a tale of the opposites. I watched an early game that Moon played and I thought Johnny Bansfield was like leading the D line. 
And then by the end of the tournament, he kind of wasn't a part of the D-line at all, like was one of the worst players on the D-line. And Paul Arters was on O early in the tournament, not doing anything like Ref and Ben and, and you know, uh, Mueller or whatever were doing their whole thing. And then by the end of the tournament, Paul became a key part of the O-line. That's how I saw it, like kind of opposite directions for the two players. Um, what do you think about taking these machine guys on? Yeah, well, I want to talk about the fucking Netflix series we made of Mooncatchers. We streamed five of their 10 games. <laughs> five of them. I think I called four of them as well. And I think I watched, like, I pretty much nearly watched every one of their games. I watched the um, the GOAT game, which was great. Uh, yeah, talking about how their tournament progressed. Didn't have um, Paul Arders on the O-line at the start. Mm-hmm. And they brought him on, and then he looked fucking fantastic. He looked so good, so confident. His dad was doing score reporting for most of their games. <laughs> and he's on the sideline, and he's like, keep it cool, but you can tell he was having a fucking heart attack, especially that, like, universe point throw, which we'll talk more about that game. But, um, yeah, yeah, really, really impressive. I think the Belgian guys, like, were predominantly the O-line until Paul Ardis came on. Ref looks like the best player in the world. They had a crazy sky over three clapping people like ended with 20 goals, 20 assists. Just so how balanced of a player he is says that he actually can jump higher than Arvids. Apparently they did like the <laughs> sky height training thing and he has them by like two centimeters, which um, you just you just wanted everyone to know that. <laughs> I can't remember. It was like 350, 350 centimeters. Is that, is that like a, apparently it goes up that high? I did not know that. But uh I think that's where he's hitting maybe more, 352, something like that. I don't know. I'm curious Crazy. where he is compared to Babbitt. I want I want to see him and Babbitt go for a... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, different body types yeah. as well. Um, the pickups. Uh, Pollard's are great, and probably they're... No, well, if you, are we counting Latvians as pickups? Like, Arvids was the best, because Arvids had to play a lot of D-line, which yeah. he was predominantly playing D-line, and like we just take over the D-line if they got an opportunity to break. And that's how they got those breaks against Seattle, I thought, was just having him on the D-line, his big throws, particularly if it was a, any bit of wind, he could throw up wind, and that was just such a, you know, weapon for their D-line. And then if they got into trouble, he crossed over in the O-line, and the O-line looked a lot better with him. Yeah. No, he's But incredible. I guess you wanted, they, they did a good job of trying to balance out their lines and that, like, every line could score. I remember, like, four years ago, the Frisbees had a really good team, but their D-line was absolute horseshit. Like, could not <laughs> get two passes together. But at least they, they kind of had the, the Laffian D-line, and then they also had the Onslaught-Bansfield D-line. Yeah, Bansfield was pretty, like, was good. They had good moments, but, like, Onslaught was way better. Like, yeah. he had way more impact. Um, like Bansfield still plays the yeah. most bizarre defense. He, I think his team doesn't even know he what he's doing half defense. the time. He's just, like, very, yeah. like, he doesn't play, like the way you're supposed to play defense, but he gets blocks every game. Yeah. And yeah. like, he just knows he just can sniff out the field. And there was, there was times where like, you could tell he was going for a switch, but his teammate didn't know, are you switching or not? Like, and, and sometimes it would give up a goal, but then sometimes it would result in a, like give up a very easy goal. And then sometimes it would result in a block. And I think that's still valuable to have, uh, on a D line at this level. If you can get blocks in any way, shape or form, like you need it. Um, but yeah, Gal Alon was incredible. Got that foot block against Free Child uh, after Free Child was acting like a yeah. complete child uh, in that game. <laughs> he got injury subbed on at that point, Gil yep. Anslan. And then he straight on to be marking Dylan Free Child. And I asked him, talked to him about after about that moment. I was like, well, that's your best moment of your life. He's like, yeah. <laughs> He's like pretty much crying and so happy. He was just overwhelmed with joy. And it was, I was so stoked for him. He's like, I actually hadn't chatted that much as a person in real life. And he's a really great guy, actually. I really like him, yeah. guy. And it looked like he was just having lots of fun. 
Um, but he said, yeah, Dylan got that throw off once. He said he went for his hand and he said he just missed it. He said, next time I'll go for the foot and he got him. And yeah, there was a great photo of it. And it was just, that was 12-12, Seattle to break. Yeah. I think Seattle scored that, they win. Huge 100%. moment. And I think that might have been a shot to the end yep. zone. Just, yeah, foot block, delivery child. It's so good. He, he held that it forever, so, though. So he was like, that was like stall seven or something like that. Like he, he was like, Kyle yeah. was locked in. I could see it. Like you could see he was just, he held onto it too long and just telegraphed the throw and such a good block, like key moment in the game. I, I, I texted Kyle uh, that night and I said, how happy are you that Goat kicked you off the team at last minute? Because he was supposed to be on play for Goat and he was like pretty happy. Yeah, and like, and like yeah. Goat, if he was on goat, they probably would have beat Mooncatchers, right? Like that that was that was a one point game. Um so he got he got injury subbed on on Universe Point. In that as well. game as well? <laughs> in that game against Yeah, Goat. Yeah, pretty bizarre. Like Mooncatchers are ahead for most of the game. They're on offense, Universe Point. Brought Johnny Bansfield on to the O line, which is the first time I've seen him and Oli Tommy saw him play O line the whole tournament. He throws turns throws a turnover. Kind of trying to hit Ben Yonkers, but a bit out of reach and then Ben ends up like laying out hurting his shoulder which kind of happened twice in yeah. a row and like the soccer game pretty upset yeah. And I, yeah and I think there's like I think he maybe had this like a niggly injury and then just that and like the overwhelming the situation and onslaught injury subbed on I think at both times and played really well in both those points when he did I can't yeah go kind of threw away give back to him and they end up scoring an universe but uh yeah onslaught was awesome yeah. he was he played awesome in the world games. He's just real. I mean, he's always been a really good player, but I think this season he had like, just like Arvids, he had something to work for to push himself to the next level. And he really did. And yeah. that was, uh, that was great to see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that game, it was his moment to shine, but then I have to like bring up his like worst ultimate moment was when that India France game on like beach where he's like, I was like, you went in that game, not knowing about, um, uh, Siva Raman and <laughs> Praveen Kumar. And that was like, they're going to do really well. It was like quarterfinal in France, mixed team. And he just got fucking obliterated by both those guys. <laughs> they were like 3-0 down. He got skied by both of them. And like, they're just like the best beach players in the yeah. world. But uh, I was just like, remember that moment? It's like kind of contrasting to this moment, which is like the best. <laughs> Coming off like a good World Games performance and and smashing it. I just had to remind him of that. I was like, remember that time a bunch of Indian kids kicked around the place? Uh Anyways, yeah, no, but yeah. Gail, next year, come play for Euro Trash. That's that's what we're uh, that's what we. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> I invited him. Offer is out. I invited him last time, yeah. but I might have been I might have been handing out a few invitations <laughs> over the over the week. But see, the 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 application for Euro Trash is going to be tough. I think we 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 showed a good thing this first time we put a team together. So we'll probably get a lot of people that are willing to come in next time. Um, but anyways. Uh, Kuzp, I think uh, anything else with Moon? I mean, uh, I, I, we'll do the controversies next and we can talk about the spiking and all that stuff. Um, but let's not let's talk about that, that right now. Um, go to Kuzp. Kuzp got fifth. I didn't see much of their play, but uh, this is the best the team's ever done. Uh, a lot of people were talking shade about, you know, are their pickups going to be any good? I have no idea how much of this win came from like Kurt and Goose finally playing well, or if they just like didn't play them as much and just the like, real guys played well. Did you, did you oh, see anything? They didn't, they didn't, they did not play Kurt that much okay. at all. Mm-mm. Kurt, Kurt finished with what, six assists. That's it. Yeah. He was just on the sideline. Like I actually, we like Kurt and I was chatting to him and like friends with him, but he's like the center O-line handler and didn't play him as that. And didn't even be playing that much in D. So he was just being annoyed on the sideline. Like, why the hell am I all the way here? Is on the He's still a very, very good player. Like, but I remember there's a warm-up, they're warming up uh Blanya, 
And this is before Mephisto or something, like a very important game. They're playing like four and four small ball, doing all these drills. And then Goose and Kurt are just doing their own, own warm-ups and then start just throwing like hammers and hooks over the Italian like small ball warm-up game. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? They're just completely like not even with the team on the warm-up. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just like funny, like you need to learn how to play small ball with these guys, but instead you're just going to throw hooks over their <laughs> like warm-up drill. And it's like, this is such a great metaphor for... <laughs> Why this sucks. Orion Cable did it right. And he came on. Goose did it right. Like those two, Kurt just did not fit in. And I don't think that's any fault of Kurt's actually. I don't know why they picked him. Uh, I think like he actually, I mean, he was clearly frustrated on the sidelines. I, which, I don't know. You're going to give me a reason. I don't think there's any good reason to take any of those players. Okay. That, that, that's one thing. But I mean, they, they, they think, you know, they did it last time with Tim Sang and Rumi Tejpar. They think that bringing a players in from the U.S. both allows them to learn something from them and improves their chances to to do well. I mean, that they're still a team that's trying to, you know, do as well as possible. And Kurt Gibson is like he's one of the best players of all time. And so if he's interested in playing with you, like, I think it's it's really hard not to take him, especially if you're the type of team like Kuz who wants to do well. And you you probably assume that taking a player like that is going to improve your chances when in the end, maybe this time it didn't. But like when Rumi and Tim were on the team, I think it definitely made them play a lot better. I mean, they were two of their best players four years ago. So I think they still think like, yeah, we're very good. But if we take a couple of these ringers, like we can go up one more level. Didn't play out this time. But like I I, I can't fault you for like thinking Kurt's going to improve your team. It's it's, you know, maybe they'll learn from it now. I do think that now they've gotten this fifth place finish. It would be cool if they were to try to make a bit more of a like less pickup team next world cycle start to trust their system start to trust what they've built in bologna and just put that team together if you want to have, take some people that are going to come over to bologna and practice with you that's fine like you know like jimmy mickle and chris kotcher they moved to sydney to pray with with colony because they love the team as much if some people want to do that because bologna is such a great program and move to bologna and practice you, that's fine but i think it's time for the team to Stop Stop taking people just for these tournaments. Yeah, I, I hate it. And like, I totally like, I actually really like them taking like Pavel Pelikan. I understand his move there. But even if he, you know, didn't necessarily move there, it's like, hey, the Czechs aren't going to Worlds because they can't afford to, or it's just not part of their program. It's like, you want to come play, play with us for a season. Like, I to- I'm totally down for that. I'm totally actually fine with the Latvians. I, f- I feel like th- that's a very, very different situation. Yeah. And like, are we all? I feel like we're a little bit on the same boat with European teams, a little bit. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like, does that make sense to you yeah. when I say it? But like, I'm totally fine with that. And if you're you're likely going to play the whole season with them, then right? You're not going to like, you're not going to just take Pavel Pelikan. He's you're, he's not coming to all the other tournaments in Europe. You know? Um. Yeah. I know. I know he's probably playing with them. But I'm just using him as an example. Or maybe Torben Horschenmeier, or Sweeney, like a who, couple seasons ago, right? Yeah. Like that's a, that's an example. Yeah. yeah complete. Complete. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit more butthurt about that last example. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I hear the point. And, you know, if they listen to this podcast, maybe that'll they'll start to listen to that. Uh, Torben Horschmeyer, one assist the whole tournament. He was he didn't play until halfway through him, like Katarina Schultz, uh, pretty much all the German okay. World Games team were COVID isolating and stuff oh. like that. I think he started playing from the Mephisto game on think maybe you start playing like halfway through the tournament and yeah same with Katarina Schultz uh, same with like Nico didn't play for ages 
Um, they're pretty much the whole German, seemingly the whole German, pretty much all the, like, Alina, Monju, Rasta yep. was... World Games was a pretty big like, hot spot, yeah. it seems like, for... Uh, I think all tournaments. Like, literally, like, you saw Gigi Morrison, like, put up on Instagram, is like, I got symptoms on the plane yeah. home and, like, tested positive when I got home. Like, that is... <laughs> I'm sure there's hundreds of people listening to this right now who have COVID. Like... <laughs> All massive tournaments. Not just it's not just Limerick, folks. <laughs> We're not just the one. <laughs> you can get COVID at all the big tournaments. Lots of different varieties and you know flavors of COVID yeah. to get. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I hope I hope no one gets super sick from it. That's all. That I hope that people keep getting like mildly sick from it yes. out for a couple of weeks or at maximum, and then get healthy. But yeah, that 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 sucks. We can talk about yeah, bad skid. I think had a good chance to do decently here if they had had Dosher. But they, they're missing Dosha. They're missing Holger already because of the knee. They're missing uh, Nico Mueller for most of the tournament. Then they were missing Marco Mueller, uh, Nico's brother, who was coaching the German World Games team for most of the tournament. And then they all arrived too late uh, to do anything. And they had some close games even without them. Like, they're still a good team without them. But if they had their full team, like, they're not a super deep team. So having, like, two or three more, two, like, of their best two players, which is... Steph Doscher and uh, and Nico Mueller plus Marco Mueller, who's a, who's a decent player, uh, would definitely add to their ability to do well. Um, going down the line after Kuz, yeah, Isno Chalk had a French final in 11th and 12th. I think Chalk were really good. Uh, I think we talked about this that they were been like a sneaky good team for a while. Um, I think them getting 12th is a really good result. KFK getting 16th. I know they were they kind of snuck their way. They kept sneaking the way past by Alba saving their ass. They like they 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 were uh, Alba had to crush. I forget who in the in the first pool to get them out of a three way tie fab. It was fab. So like uh, KFK lost to fab, but they beat Alba and then Alba had to crush fab to allow KFK to advance to the next round. And then the same thing happened in power pools. And they just kept having Alba save their ass to get to the next round um, and eventually getting down to 16th. Because once you get to bracket play, it doesn't work that way. You have to <laughs> actually win your games at that point. Um uh, Gentle getting 18th, then Wall City 19th. Um, so Gentle, I think, doing pretty well without PJ, uh, still getting 18th place. That was really cool. I remember watching the Sockeye Moon game, and after Moon wins, like Gentle storms the field and like is like cheering with them, and is like a big Belgian thing. And they're like a huge rivalry team, you know, normally trying to get Belgian national yeah. off each other, but in this moment, you know, we're all Belgian, we're all like in this together. And I thought that was like very heartwarming and cool to see them do decently. 18th isn't anything like it's not a bad result. Um, yeah, anything else to talk about before we get into controversies? We still have a couple more things to talk about this podcast. Should we finish it up? Uh, oh, yeah, we should do picks, uh, picks for the, the, uh, other divisions. And we haven't, we haven't talked about the great team of Ranlaff finished down in 22nd there. <laughs> yeah. Anything you want to say yeah, about it? That's imagine it. <laughs> when so many top players, you know, offensive player of the year on that squad. <laughs> that's shocking. Shocking. <laughs> when they've such clear, like abundance of talent. Uh, yeah, I, I got some stick for like the calling their goat game, uh-huh. which started off with goat breaking four points, going four and up with four breaks. And I was like, "What am I supposed to say? Am I supposed to like say good things?" And it was funny. Like uh, Mike McKenzie, who I know pretty well, came up to me. He's like, "Is there two Irish guys doing the call?" It was like me and Lorcan. It's like you guys gonna be pretty biased. I was like, "Yeah, probably, <laughs> but not." <laughs> not the way you think so <laughs> and he's like all right cool and it's like yeah yeah it's like this would be like you calling a furious game he's like oh all right gotcha <laughs> i started off as like i might have to take a few little digs at them here and then it was like four little down i was like Ugh. like 
I didn't even have to like artificially construct these digs. They just left it out. It was like they're actually a good team, and that was the worst game they played. I actually saw them play much, yeah. much better. Um, they were like 15 10 against Clapham. I don't know how, like, they just had a, especially this that game, like, it was over within after the first four points, which is not good. Anything other cool in the open division show, show, Okajima oh, yeah, show was pretty cool. Showtime, but did not show the up in the streamed game. Yeah, stream. I watched him against Thunder and he was so good. <laughs> it was so funny. Like, um, the Australians were just like, put this matchup on him, shut him down, don't give him the disc. And he just couldn't get it. And then he just like get a little break pass. And because the mark was trying so hard, he'd end up like opening up the space and just bing, like stall one hook perfectly the end zone. He did like nine assists in that 71, game. Which was 71. 71 like, assists in the tournament <laughs> and eight goals. <laughs> absurd. That is absurd. <laughs> what a legend. It was just, it was really wet and windy for that one game. And they just like. The Ulti, Ulti World was the so rest of psyched because like Ulti World was like kept seeing his yeah. stats, was so excited. And like, I yeah. think uh, Keith even like changed his name to Keith Showtime, like while everybody. And then like, it was like, yeah. oh, and then, and then Charlie yeah. was like, okay, it's Showtime on the stream uh, tomorrow morning. And everyone was like all pumped. And then he just had a terrible game at the, at the wrong time. <laughs> yeah, I know. And he looks so sad. He was like, you know, half the tournament's been like, look how great I am. And he's a really funny yeah. guy. And he was like, Showtime! And like, oh, he would say Showtime? Celebrating and shit. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, he was the first person I heard okay. say it. it. was like, he had that name. He told me the name of Showtime. So I don't know if that's... I think he's been called that for a while. Uh, it seems like an obvious nickname. But super fun guy. It's like a college team. It's like he started a team with him as college friends. And your man 19, who was on the 24 team, who was really fast. But other than that, they're like an average team. And he just fucking can put it very accurately. Like those classic blade yeah. hooks. And yeah, it was. I watched him in the Sunday game, and like they were tied at thirteen, some of that, and it was just literally off the back of him throwing dimes. But yeah, I know, I know, we've talked probably quite a lot about the the open division, oh. but there was a lot of European teams. I do want to say up. one more thing about Kuz is that they did crush Sakai in the Constellation game, and maybe this is a good transition into the controversies. But uh, I got a I got a text from Chopo because Free Child had zero stats in that game. And after he acted like a baby against uh, Mooncatchers, I was wondering if he just like didn't play. And then Chopo was like, yeah, he did play. And then we were 10-6 up, and then he took his cleats off. <laughs> so that happened. And then uh, Kuz just smashed I him. Want, did he spike his cleats? <laughs> He's got two of them, so you don't even have to go back for a fucking second bite. Oh, that was so funny. That right, was so before, funny. Before we get to the controversies, we're going to start with the spikes. It picks, I just looked at it. So you won women's because you called Fury to beat Phoenix in the semi and I called Phoenix to beat Fury. So that was the main difference between us. But I won open because I called Pony to win. You called Ring to win. So that was the biggest uh, that was the biggest thing. So yeah. you got two out of three and I won world games so right now. We're two and two uh, on each other right now with picks. OK, OK, yeah. I'll take that. Yeah, <laughs> seems fair. Um, all right. Controversies. I think we'll start with spiking. Um, this goes back also to world games where Rahel Toshnarova uh made a name for herself as the person, the anti spiking commentator, but, um, spiking here, two instances. So the first, the first was the moon sockeye where free child's apparently was like, he hated moon. I mean, I think he hates every opponent he ever plays against. I think he just like gets it. That's like how he drives himself is to like, think they're evil and like, think they're bad people. And like, that's, 
he kept yelling that like they're taking advantage of the rules. They're deliberately cheating. They're like he called a foul on Guile who like did a give go move, which is like a free child move, basically, and said like he was pushing through me on a give go move. And like that, there's clips of Guile talking to Dylan on the sideline in the stream. And I, I thought it was about the spike, Boy, but it lot, wasn't about yeah. the spike. I asked Guile later. He said, no, I was just telling him, like, look, if you have a problem with us playing, like, talk to us. This is spirit. Like, we're going to improve. If you don't like what we're doing, let's, like, talk about it and try and make the game. We don't want to win off of that. Um, and so then, yeah, he catches it. There was a bit of a not the greatest bid for moon catchers on a Dylan Free Child catch. He spikes it in the face of of his uh, moon catchers defender. I forget who it was. This spikes in the face is, is near him, towards him. Towards I think him, not actually not in on his the face. face. In, yeah. in, I, 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 <laughs> yeah. I think it was in the face and on the face. He was, he was spiking at the player, basically. <laughs> then runs over, and I think the player like thought, okay, maybe I can just like high five him because that's usually what happens in Europe if something like that happens. You like say sorry and like you high five. No, he then runs over, picks up the disc, run past him. Edge spikes the disc down, and disc had to be replaced. And of course, uh, yeah, then they lose on Universe. Um, Fury against uh, Revo Anna Thompson. I think uh, I forget what score it was. Wait, wait. You should you should, you should mention the funny. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Retort sure, sure, sure. to that. Sure. Yeah, but, but before that, just I can't remember who it was. Yeah, was it was Mueller. Mueller. It was Mueller. Mueller throws it to Mueller. Yeah. Did the fakes? Fakes the yeah. spike. Yeah. Says no, 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 with his finger wagging, and then puts it down very gently and nicely, and says, "No, we respect the disco." Tucks it into bed. So, yeah. so funny. Yeah, that was uh, meme moment yeah. of the tournament. Well played. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did they did they clip that? They should have clipped the two things. So embarrassing. Yeah, they just watching they put it on Instagram. Like, it got a lot twice. of got a lot of likes. Uh, yeah. Uh, so then then yeah, Anna Thompson did the same thing: a double edge spike against Rebel, and then lost on Universe. So I think it's not a good strategy to double edge spike. Uh, it just loses you the games. Uh, uh, Anna Thompson is one of my least favorite players. I remember her in that U24s in... There's a Earth, travel call she called. That making was a load, lo- like yeah. a load of really bad calls against a Japanese mixed team who were better than them and should have won. And Anna Thompson just cheated quite a lot. <laughs> and then she's in that game and she like makes that good grab, scores a great goal, fair play to her, and then just does the double spike as well. And it's just like, and it brings up her stats. And it's like one goal, three turnovers. Anna Thompson, you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. And somebody tweeted out one, one goal, three turnovers, two spikes. <laughs> was her yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was just like, yeah, go you. Like, you know, why, why are you doing that? It's just, I, I've, I've not liked her spirit as much as I've seen her. I'm saying this in a European podcast, knowing that she will never listen to it. Oh, it'll get shared to her now, but, <laughs> but, but uh, look. I, I, I'm okay with spikes. I'm not a I'm not a Toshnarova like anti spikes. If you want to like emphatically spike a disc on the ground to pump your team up, that's fine. Don't do it on a player. Don't and Moon, Moon did have one spike kind of near a player at one point. I think it was Abeltinch at one point in one of their scores. Uh, he catches the disc, looks at a sockeye player. I don't know if it was in a taunting way or not, and like runs just past the sockeye player and spikes it. This did happen in the sockeye game. Um, that was on the edge. So I'm not saying, you know, uh, we're innocent as Europeans or whatever. Like we, we, we can be aggressive too. But anyways, in general, I don't mind most spikes as long as you're not aggressively at your player. And as long as you don't edge spike and damage the disc, like that is stupid. It's like damaging the thing we're playing with. And I think there's something, I still think there's something to that. But if you want, if you want to like do a celebration, have some fun and like emphatically kick spike or, or whatever, I'm cool with that. But like this stuff's out of hand and free child. This is embarrassing for him, right? Is that yeah. like that's the only thing I, I'm just like I'm embarrassed for you. 
I'm not upset about it. I don't really yeah. care. Do whatever you want. But I am a like I, if I was you, I'd be embarrassed. That's the only thing that comes to mind. And like it's I don't think it's definitely He's not a kid like, anymore, is the thing. Worse to yeah, yeah. It's definitely worse to lay out into people's backs, yeah. which happened a bit in that game. That's definitely worse, Spirit, just to clarify, or making shitty calls are much worse. I'd much rather people play really fair and then fucking light this gunfire if you want to <laughs> fuck as long as there's another one to play with. <laughs> yes, that, that's fair. That's fair. But like, but his attitude in general, apparently like yelling at the moon catchers that they're intentionally cheating or like his behavior in general is just, yeah, when you're 18, that's fine. But he's not anymore. He's a, he's a captain on the team now. And like, I was a big fan of him. I love his style of play. Like he's inspired me. If you've ever seen like my play, I love doing the give go like fast, rapid movement that he, you know, was so good at him and Jesse Schaffner were two of like my inspirations to get good at that move when they were both at, at Oregon as college players. And like, I'm like not a fan of him anymore. Like this was like, okay, he's kind of like, he's still a great player, but like, yeah, that attitude just doesn't do it for me. I like fiery players that get pumped up, but he, he crosses some line here and like it gets into embarrassing that's like well it gets cringe basically at this point for me and that's a that's a shame all right what's next what's next next? Controversy. Next controversy. spikes uh next thing will be pick continuation yeah americans not yeah. understanding that's, how this works I, I think is a is a thing yeah yeah i called both those games and i probably gave them a little bit of a hard time jack and harper gavi First off, I don't think either of them are unspirited no. players. And I think they were genuinely thought they were playing to this WFDF rule set. I don't know if you listen to the Deep Look pod. Keith starts off in the middle of a rant. He's like, those are just the rules, Charlie. And Charlie's like, That's, those are not the rules. <laughs> yeah, I did listen to that. Yeah. Like, it's not as clear as you're making it out to be. Um, in Europe, those are both like, turnovers. How given... we interpret the rules in Europe, like those yeah. would both be turnovers easily, right? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Like, and I think it should be even more for them because... Like, he's like, oh, it affects play and stop playing. It's like, you've played your whole life where you have to make yeah. that catch, you know? Like, your default reaction is it's it's when it's thrower acknowledges it. So, like, you've played your whole entire career being you have to make that catch. And you know the rules so well that you knew that you didn't have to. Like, you know what I mean? That split second. It's like, just catch the fucking disc. For the listeners who didn't catch the games, I'm sure everybody did, but, like, the situation... Um, for Jack Williams, it was the semifinal against Mooncatchers. A pick was called. His defender stopped. The disc went up. Jack still ran towards the disc and then just dropped it. Maybe he didn't run as hard as he was going to run if he didn't hear the pick, whatever. But he just ran, was wide open and dropped it. And then said the pick affected his play and so it should go back. Um, the second one was Harper Garvey. This one was more egregious, actually, to me. Because I could actually see maybe Jack wasn't full on running. But Harper, like... Runs for the disc, and then his defender calls pick, but then continues to play, uh, puts enough pressure on it that like makes enough. You know, it was kind of a ghost D. I don't think he touched. He does, does he tip, tip it. it. He okay. does tip it. He but does either way, tip it hits it. Harper those in the he hands, but he did tip it. It yeah. turns over. Harper starts walking to play defense, and then I think he somebody tells him that it goes back, and then he realizes. So like he clearly did not stop playing. It's it's so clear by his body language after the turn that he was ready to just give it up. And then he's like, oh, wait, there's something that I can maybe not use to get out of it. But like, oh, yeah, the rules here say so the rules say 
when a pick is called before the throw, no turnover is possible unless 16.3, everybody agrees that it uh, didn't affect the outcome of the play, including the call. The call didn't affect the outcome of the play. So both of them are within the rules to say the pick call affected my play. I stopped playing, therefore I turned it over. I think in that case, you have to kind of like let it hit the ground to say that, in my opinion. Like you can't like still go for the catch and then say it affected my play. Like I think there's there's maybe some chances where you can. I think, but I, I, yeah. I think you say, what were you going to yeah. do differently? Like what what did that look like? And like Jack Williams is just cutting under and like, uh, you just, I think that one is as clear as day. Like you're going to catch it. I don't understand what you would have done different. Maybe the defender would have been closer and you would have ran harder. But like that's such a shit argument to make. And Harper's one. I thought there would be maybe a small argument if he said he slowed down that cut, which was like a cut to the break side and Jimmy just hits it. If he kept like continuing running further away, the ironic thing is the person who called pick, he did mm-hmm. touch it and made the play. And it's just like. If you didn't say pick hypothetically, it would still be a turn. Like you got like punished for calling the pick when it's the offense's fault you were picked. You know what I mean? It actually helped them out, which is bizarre. And like I was like wondering, I was like, should we is there alternates to this rule? I don't know. Like we've been podcasting on, we could talk about this for fucking ever. Well the, the rules do say I don't think either of those rules do say that you're allowed yeah, to wait a couple seconds before calling the pick to see if it impacts them. Nobody play. fucking does that. Nobody <laughs> ever does that. And they need to start they need to start pushing that. I think it was like you should be only able to call pick when it's thrown to your player. I was thinking like, is that a better rule? That could mean that you could end up saying a pick happened like eight seconds ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? That could legitimately happen where you were like never made up that separation. And it's like, is that better? But like there's so many, particularly US teams like pick and it's like they weren't even cutting or like they're clearing back into the stack and you're just like stopping play all the time. It's like you can only call pick when it's thrown to your receiver. And once it's you can only do it once it's in the air, and if you call it, they have to, you know, play it doesn't if you end up making the D, well then it's a turnover. Or, you know, there's none of this stopping play thing. I was wondering if that's a better way of improving the game. Or is there is there room for it? I think these rules could be better. Yeah. Is is another thing. I think that's why Jack and Harper had this confusion. Harper, yeah, both of them is this like you I still feel like they should have made the right decision, but I understand I don't think they're like they weren't making bad calls or they've never been known for making bad calls. And I think yeah, I, I don't know. I think they're just like, this is how it works in Europe, I guess. Or whatever. I, I think, or I think it's just clear they weren't that used to these rules. And that's the yeah. thing. And and there's yeah. a in the Discord and Ulti World, there's a couple like debates going on, and one of them is should USAU play under WIFDIF rules? And people can argue that they like the USAU pick rule better. I actually don't like the USAU pick. I I, I also agree with you that the WIFDIF pick rule isn't great and that it allows for too much of this weirdness. But the USAU pick rule, whereas like you have to keep playing after somebody calls pick until the thrower recognizes it, like that's also weird. And I have played that way and it's you get used to it. But like it's also weird that you have to keep playing. You have to keep playing until like somebody else hears the call. That's like also doesn't jive with me from a philosophical point of view either. So there's something that has to be done there. Um, but yeah, I, I think that maybe and this this is maybe a topic for another podcast. But I, I, I argued there that I think USAU should consider just playing with diff rules at some point, realize that like you're part of this global ultimate community and playing the same rules that the whole rest of the world plays under. And I know that's USAU made their rules first against the whole other podcast. We can't get into this right now. We have too much else to talk about, but that's my hot take. USAU start playing with diff rules. <laughs> but I think the rules should be the same. Yeah, I, sure. Like, you know, we bring in the three points of contact for a try. I think slowly merge those rules and 
they don't have to be, you know, we're all taking X rules. You can merge them. I think there is. I think they're slowly trying to merge them. Yeah. I think that's the plan. There's uh, some still some key philosophical differences since the biggest switch, of course, is observers. Yeah. So yeah. that's we'll have to see. All right. Last last thing to talk about quick, because we got to end this podcast. We're really deep into this thing now. Um, dangerous plays and the rule that you are allowed to call a dangerous play without um, without contact. This came up twice in the tournament, once in the Pooty red flag semi where I forget her name, the one of the American, the Utah players that's playing for Pooty. Um, Gang and Chatha makes this like that classic, you know, poach D for that upline cut. But he actually does really, really well to avoid contact and, and get the D and not truck the player. Um, but the player still got really spooked and and uh, decided to call a dangerous play. And actually later on on Twitter, she said that she thinks she made the wrong call and that if she looked at it on the video, actually it was safe. And then the big one, the huge one, uh, one of the best D plays in the history of the sport, <laughs> Manu getting this uh, block, uh, huge layout block against Kayla Helton, who in my eyes didn't attack the disc as hard as she could, but not because Manu was there and was dangerous. It was because she thought she could just make an easy clap catch. And then you could see her kind of clap. Manu blows past her. And then right after Manu makes the D, she kind of flinches and and backs up. And I think if she sees that, she didn't look at the replay, but I think if she had seen that replay, she would have realized that I think things happened in a different order than she thought they happened in real life, which happens all the time with uh, plays like that. But in both cases, I think perhaps the wrong call was made according to the rules. But there's a good argument made by Mike Ball who said like, you're supposed to be allowed to avoid the dangerous contact and you're not supposed to have to get truck to call the play. And this is the kind of play that both of these things are trying to protect. Um, in my eyes, I don't really fully agree. I think if you're going to call dangerous play, you have to like consciously avoid the contact. And in both cases, they were kind of spooked by the defense and they used the fact that they were scared of the physical play to call dangerous play rather than like, oh, this thing was going to truck me. I backed off. So I'm going to call dangerous play. I think those are two different things, but the subtlety in the rules, people not understanding it, I think went this way. Um, I've talked enough. Liam, what's your take on on these situations? Yeah, I, I think it's another thing where there needs to be more interpretations of how to use dangerous play. I think I, I was trying to look up the, the quote for it there, but definitely it starts off by saying like reckless endangerment to like players. Like uh, reckless is the key word. You know and I mean, like dangerous play really has to be something where you're putting someone else at risk and I just don't think that was the case with the 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 Manu block I think it was thrown under thrown to Kayla Helton she was running deep has to come and run under at that point the two of them are fighting like heading towards a space which they both have to be attempting to avoid contact I think Manu does I mean people saying like oh Manu didn't know what's going on it's like she definitely knew what was going on um but it was, you know, Kayla doesn't just get to, because she's an offense, be like, oh, I now want to go in that space. I think Manu's already committed to that space before Kayla realizes that she's Manu's going to get there first. And maybe Kayla can think about it, but like they both have to be conscious of the other face. I think Manu was actually trying really hard to avoid contact. Exactly. Yeah. And like that's, and it wasn't reckless. And that's the keyword. Keyword for dangerous play has to be reckless. So, like you, like you were doing something which was, 
always going to be contact and like you should be trying to avoid contact and that's yeah. and that's what made it dangerous and like you know i think if kayla last minute decided like oh fuck i need to like adjust my line i currently had and the way i was attacking this to attack it more and it was just a bad it was just a bad call and people like use dangerous play to get out of jail sometimes here's the ruling uh actions demonstrating reckless disregard for the safety of fellow players or or posing significant risk of injury to fellow players or other dangerously aggressive behaviors are considered dangerous play and must be treated as a foul regardless of whether or when contact occurs this rule is not superseded by any other foul rule if the dangerous play call is accepted that it must be treated as the most relevant foul from section 17 and in the annotations it says note dangerous play fouls may can be called before an event to avoid potential collision example a defender runs slash lays out in a way that an accident would occur if the offense player were to continue when this occurs it is correct to not make play on the disc and to call a dangerous play foul players calling dangerous play fouls before a potential incident need to have reasonable grounds for doing so they should actually be able to see the oncoming player and have some reason to believe that the player will not avoid contact. This could include previous history of that player uh, not to avoid contact. You cannot call a dangerous play if you feel you could have made a play on the disc, but that there would have resulted in you initiating contact. In that instance, you should just refrain from making the play. And so that's, I think, if you read all of that, I don't think Kayla like saw the play developing from Manu avoided it and then called the play she like still tried to make the catch manu made the d and then she got spooked and like couldn't make the play without causing contact herself and like i think by all these rules it was just not a dangerous play now what do you think about this rule i mean charlie on deep look had said that he thought that allowing people to call dangerous plays without contact will leave room for things like this to happen do you think the rule needs to change or it's just again people need to understand the rules better i think uh i'm not sure i'm not sure of this one to be honest with you i think either or i think the rule does need to change or do it for contact people just use it as a way to like get out of calls that like where someone makes a great bid and they had to pull out but they should have pulled out anyway i don't really know that many great situations to call dangerous play. I think there's one situation of people going up the line and they don't see you, you know, because they're just yeah. not looking, you're the poach. And it's just like, you're going into that space knowing that they don't see you and there's going to be contact regardless. You might get there first kind of thing. I think there's kind of, that is like the situation where it's, it's reckless and like they don't know. And maybe they should be looking where they're fucking going or some of that. But sometimes there's poach situations where, you know, people have beaten their person and are like looking at the disc, obviously, because that's where you look and they don't see someone. You're moving into that space. I think there's, that's like the only time I really see dangerous play. This situation, is, I just don't find it applicable. I think there's very few situations, really, that you can say dangerous play. And it's, it's used in like getting out of jail when someone gets a great block on you. That's 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 why I feel <laughs> but about I don't it. think it's used that much. For that no no it's very rarely actually used i don't think i've ever called it i think i've called it once maybe ever yeah i don't know that's another debate we'll have uh you can have it in the comments of this podcast we'll talk about it more later um yeah those are the i think those are the main controversies anything else uh we've been doing this for almost two hours now so we're gonna go to subs only where we're gonna talk about the game advisors um 
briefly touch on them here, but now let's let's just save that for subscribers only. If you want to hear our, our opinions on game advisors and the game advisor system, do that. Any other things uh, to wrap up Worlds? Again, I think it was a really great tournament. Uh, we got World Juniors coming up. Uh, probably when this podcast gets released, it might have already started, but like uh, World Juniors coming up in Poland, along with European Juniors. Um, I don't really know anything about any of the teams, but, uh, you know, U20s is where people saw Arvid Zolafkas for the first time or where people saw the Yonkers brothers for the first time. So keep your eyes peeled. You'll probably see the next uh, the next stars uh, of the sport. Um, definitely catch that. Ulti.tv is going to be bringing streaming coverage of that. Um, yeah. Anything else, Liam, about World Ultimate Clubs before we close out this podcast? Let's never go to Ohio ever again. Oh, yeah? It really? was great. It was a great run tournament, but fucking Ohio sucks. This is the place. <laughs> Getting there, the food, the lack of culture, just you know, it's fine. It's like it's a pity the tournament directors and the venue and all that just aren't somewhere fucking nice. Because at the end of the day, it's a holiday for us. That's really what it is for most European teams. They finish twentieth or whatever, <laughs> and we don't want to go to Cincinnati. We have to take two flights to get somewhere you don't want to be. You know, is that a final thought? <laughs> That sounds like a final thought. Yeah. Uh, that'll do it for Eurozone. I've been Ryan Vasudevan. I've been Liam Grant, and we will eat you later. Darling.